0: You're listening to The End Zone with your host, Javon Cutler and Will Cruz, bringing you the latest sports news from across the country.
1: And on this Tuesday, February 25th, 2019 or 2020, live from Auburn, we One 1.1 FM. You're listening to another edition of The End Zone. I'm Javon Cutler holding it down for today as we've got plenty to talk about in the world of sports as of course we've got to hit on the Auburn basketball game that's happening tonight in about two hours or so Auburn Tigers are playing Ole Miss Rebels and good old SEC matchup perhaps Auburn will get revenge and start earlier than they did last time of course Auburn struggled out the gate against Ole Miss as they were down by as many as 19 points in Oxford but they ended up coming back to win the game in overtime so a big win for Auburn Back then, We'll see what Auburn can do as far as taking care of business tonight, but also during today's show we're going to hit on some NBA topics, the latest news happening in the NBA as well as some NFL free agency news combine draft stuff and maybe at the end we'll even touch on some MLB spring training as that has happened this past week as the MLB spring training I believe started this past Saturday and many teams are getting off and ready for some early action. With that being said, let's start off here in the first quarter with some Auburn Tiger basketball. Auburn's currently ranked 15th in the country after being ranked 13th last week. Had a tough loss against Georgia, but rebounded nicely by having to overcome a 17-point deficit to beat the Tennessee Volunteers this past Saturday. They won 73-66, so a big win for Auburn and a much-needed win for the Tigers after they had been struggling mightily throughout the game, especially in their shooting percentages. So a great win for Auburn going back to last Saturday, and it was something they needed because the Tigers were reeling. If they had suffered their third straight loss, which would have been also their first loss at home this year, they're still undefeated at home, this would have been a really bad showing for the Tigers. There would probably be even some doubts that to be ranked, to be honest. They'd probably be on that fringe kind of 20 to 25 range as far as rankings. Some voters might have even voted them out of the rankings, just to be harsh about it. But for Auburn, this was a much-needed win, and it just shows you how this offense in this team, it seems like is much more of a second-half team than a first-half team. So it's just a big showing for the Tigers, and it's a much-needed win. Stats aren't going to look pretty at times, as indicated by the stats in this game. Auburn only shot the ball, shot 42% from the field, including 35% from the three-point range. Tennessee shot 45% and shot 35% as well from three-point range. But what killed Tennessee in this game was their turnovers. They had more than double the Auburn turnovers. Tennessee, in fact, specifically had 24 turnovers compared to just 11 for Auburn. And that's something that is not going to result in many wins, no matter what team you you are. If you have over 20 turnovers and a high turnover percentage like that, it's going to be hard to win in any league. So good job by Auburn as far as taking care of business against the Volunteers and Somebody that kick-started the game for Auburn as far as this comeback was Samir Dowdy. He had been kind of dormant in the first half, hadn't really done much. But then in the second half, he really came to life, made some nice little shots in the paint, made some timely three-point shots, and also Devin Cambridge made some nice little corner three shots to really bring the Tigers back into the game and bring the fans back in the game as well because the crowd was kind of antsy. They weren't really knowing what's happening with this Tigers team. This isn't something they're used to but they were able to rally and finally give the fans something to cheer about, and it was a good thing they were able to do that because it looked like Auburn was on their way to once again another loss, and that would have been their longest losing streak of the year. But currently, Auburn still has an undefeated record at home. All four losses have been on the road for the Tigers, starting with Alabama, then they had Florida loss, Missouri loss, and then Georgia lost so some tough losses for the Tigers but they're still in a great position tournament wise to get that four seed if not higher as projected by some bracketologist from ESPN but it was a much needed win like I said and even Bruce Pearl said that he said that having lost two in a row I kind of felt like our backs were against the wall and that's something that you don't want to feel if you're a team like Auburn who let's face it they don't have as much talent as the last year's team they've lost a bunch of great Potential from last year's team who went on to the NBA, G League, or playing overseas, but these guys have heart. You've got to admit that these guys are going to continue to fight, continue to push through it, and work hard. And that's something you've got to admire about a Bruce Pearl team, and that's what you should expect from a Bruce Pearl coach team: that they're going to fight their butts off and try to win every single game, try to scrap for every loose rebound, try to make every shot if possible, and just play gritty defense and play up-tempo offense. So everything that they're trying to work for is possible. And I think it is going to eventually work in their favor under Bruce Pearl. And looking at the SEC standings right now, Auburn is currently two games behind Kentucky for that first place spot in the conference. And Auburn does play Kentucky this upcoming weekend in Lexington at Rupp Arena. So, you know, Kentucky's going to be looking for revenge after losing to Auburn here earlier this season. I think Auburn's gonna be ready for this game, and the key I think for this game specifically tonight against Ole Miss is don't overlook the Rebels either. So Ole Misses had Auburn's number the past few years in Auburn Arena. They beat them last year in Auburn Arena, and they've beat them five out of the past six years in Auburn Arena. So Ole Misses had Auburn's number. They seem to find that magic recipe as far as brewing upsets and trying to figure out ways to win inside. Auburn Arena so that's gonna be something the Tigers need to look out for but I think that a win like that against Tennessee combined with the home crowd into the game is gonna pave well for Auburn because they'll be able to feed off the energy of the crowd and also have confidence in themselves as far as making shots against the Ole Miss team that's been struggling this year at 13 and 14 and including a 4 and 10 record in conference play so I think for Auburn they just need to get back to their basics make sure you get Samir Dowdy of course involved get Austin Wiley for sure involved and I think that it'll pay huge dividends for the Tigers I think Javon McCormick will step up as well and I think Auburn's going to be in good shape they are a much bigger team than Ole Miss they should be able to dominate inside the paint there shouldn't be any worries as far as that and also Auburn should be good as far as making sure they knock down their shots As Ole Miss is a decent shooting team, but they're not a great shooting team. And for Ole Miss, as far as their offensive standpoint, they rely a lot on their guard, Brian Tyree, who is among one of the best guards in the SEC. He's averaging over 20 points per game this season, shooting about 44% from the field and knocking down about 81% of his free throws. So he's a pretty efficient player in terms of getting his own points. But for the Tigers, they're going to really need to stop him and make sure that they're able to get some type of momentum going here in this game. But going back to the Tigers and what they've been doing this year, they've been pretty solid, I'd say, this year. I mean, much higher expectations since they made the Final Four last year, despite losing a plethora of talent in a Jared Harper, a Bryce Brown, a Chumo Kiki, as well as players like a Horace Spencer and a Malik Dunbar. They had to rebuild this team kind of on the fly, and it helps that they had some a good recruiting class and players such as Isaac Okoro, who's a four-slash-five-star prospect, depending on how you're looking at it in different recruiting websites. Then you have other guys who have been really great this year and have had moments of brilliance, like a Devin Cambridge, who stepped up well. And Flanagan, Alan Flanagan's also had some pretty good minutes as well for the Tigers. So I think that's been a huge transition for the Tigers, that they're still even to this day are trying to figure out like what's the best lineup to close out with. What's the best lineup for this situation and scenario and that situation and scenario and all these types of predicaments. But I think they've done pretty well as far as managing that. And of course the backcourt, you lose a lot of shooting when it comes to a Harper and Brown, but you've got a McCormick and a Dowdy and McCormick is not really known as a shooter. He's more of the athletic guy who could get to the rim if necessary. And, knock down shots occasionally but he'll give you some pretty good assist numbers as well as he's done this year averaging four and a half assists per game compared to about two turnovers so decent enough ratio as far as his assist to turnover ratio and then Samir Dowdy who came off the bench last year is now in starting lineup as your kind of shooting guard and he's been having to carry the load as far as sometimes offense for the Tigers is averaging about 16 points per game, shooting about 41% from the field and 77% from the free throw line. But we all know he can kind of get in spurts where he's all absolutely scorching and makes a bunch of his shots. And he also gets in moods where it's really hard for him to get a shot. And sometimes he kind of forces everything and takes a lot of contested shots. And it's not pretty looking for this offense. But for the Tigers, I think a key for them is to make sure that they are able to Get some type of offensive rhythm going heading into the tournament because this might catch up with them, as far as them playing behind a lot in the first halves and then having to pick up the pace and catch up to other teams in the second half. Because in NCAA tournament, you're probably going to get a 13 seed if you are you're going to get a 13 seed if you are a four seed, and 13 seed is most likely one of those mid-major conferences, smaller schools that are scrappy and they want to try to prove that hey we're belonging in the NCAA tournament. So that's something that the Tigers really need to look out for in the game or in the tournament eventually. And most importantly, I think, for the Tigers is to get Isaac Okoro back because he's been hurt the past few games with his hamstring. He hasn't looked. They haven't looked as strong offensively with him, and especially on the defensive end, as he is their best defensive player with the huge physical presence that he brings. I think the Tigers are sorely missing that from their offense right now and it's been hurting them a bit. But I think that Auburn will eventually rebound and have a shot to finish strong, not only in the SEC tournament, but also in the regular season as well. And hopefully that play translates to the NCAA tournament where Auburn could continue to build off of the success they had last year and previous year and make their third straight NCAA tournament appearance. If I had to give a score for this game, tonight between Auburn and Ole Miss I think that Auburn is going to win this game I would go Auburn I'll go Auburn 82 Ole Miss 77 I think it's going to be a close game because Auburn's going to get their best shot from every team they play that's just a fact of life here this season for the Tigers as they're among the hunted in the SEC instead of being the hunter like they were the previous years before Bruce Pearl came to town but I think that Auburn's going to have enough to win this game it's going to be a great game by both teams but Auburn I think pulls away at the end and wins narrowly on a great performance by the offense I think Samir's going to have a pretty good game I think Austin's going to have a dominating game a double-double I think is going to happen so book that right now I think Auburn's going to win 82 to 77 with that being said this has been the end of the first quarter
0: here on the end zone don't touch that dial end your day with the end zone we'll be right back After the break. Welcome back to the end zone with Cutler and Cruz.
1: Yeah, welcome back to the end zone. You've reached the second quarter here on Weagle 91.1 FM. Second quarter today is gonna feature some NBA basketball as play is picked up here in the second half of the season as we're approaching the playoffs. About a month and a half or so, so we've still got about 25-ish games or so of basketball remaining in the regular season, and just running down some headlines in the National Basketball Association, according to ESPN, sources say that Ben Simmons, point guard for the Philadelphia 76ers, shouldn't be coming back soon, and they don't expect him to come back soon, I should say, that is the source from ESPN, Simmons had some back issues, and they're calling it a nerve impingement in his lower back. And there's a little expectation that he'll be ready to turn up to return in the lineup really soon. So they're given about a two-week healing period. And then he'll be re-evaluated as far as his back. So that's a bit of a blow for the 76ers who are still in the thick of the Eastern Conference playoff race. They're currently a top six seed. I don't expect him to really move down further as the seven and eight seeds or both below 500, and Orlando and Brooklyn. I don't expect much as far as that. And Simmons played less than five minutes in the 76ers' loss to the Bucks Saturday night before exiting with his back soreness. And he also missed Thursday's overtime win against the Nets. And last night's game against Atlanta, Simmons is averaging 17 points, 7.9 rebounds, and 8.3 assists this season. So Simmons is having... A solid season, but seventy sixers are now gonna to have to rely more on a Joel Embiid to really carry them into this home stretch as far as the season. And Embiid had no problem doing that last night as he dominated the Atlanta Hawks. And Embiid himself had forty-nine points in the game, so a big win for Seventy Sixers. As he pretty much dominated completely in that fourth quarter. The Hawks had no answer for him. Embiid was able to impose his will on the team. And I think the 76ers are going to need more performances like that from Joel Embiid throughout this home stretch because, like I said, Simmons isn't a guy who it's going to be hard to kind of replicate what he does on the court as far as the backup point guard goes. And Simmons gives you that physicality. He's able to finish in the paint. Great assist guy, gives you rebounds. And Embiid, we all know how much of a physical presence he is, but he also has been known to be injury-prone throughout his whole career. So I think Embiid's going to have to play himself back into shape and just focus on himself. And this team's going to have to rally around Embiid as their leader, along with players needing to step up, such as Al Horford or Tobias Harris or Josh Richardson, and even some of these players off the bench for the 76ers. So I think that this team is going to be okay without Simmons they should be able to hold on to that five or six spot in the Eastern Conference and I think that despite the loss the 76ers will be okay one thing they do to focus on is winning on the road as they have a under 500 record on the road compared to a sparkling 27-2 and record at home so record at home is much better for the 76ers and that's all good but you might have to win a road game in the playoffs just to advance because you don't want to keep going to 70-game series if you want to keep advancing to the finals because you're going to be physically tired, mentally tired, all the above. And I don't know if Philadelphia is going to be able to withstand a team like a Boston or a Milwaukee or even a Toronto as far as competing for better spots in the Eastern Conference. But speaking of Eastern Conference play, the player you got to feel sorry for is Bradley Beal. An accomplishment Bradley Beal had that emulates the great Kobe Bryant is he's the first player since Kobe to score 50 on back-to-back nights, but there is a drawback. They The Wizards lost both games, so there wasn't really much to be excited about from Beal and his performance. Under Otherwise, it was individual performance, but Beal shot 58% from the field in last night's game, including 8 of 13 from 3-point range. And the night before, he shot 56% scored score 53 points. So he was able to do 55 last night and then 53 points Sunday night. But it just didn't seem like it was enough to get the Wizards over the hump. And it seems like that's been the case all year long. And to quote Bradley Beal, he said that I was just locked in and I was just having fun. Probably the most fun game I've ever played in. So individually, he was doing great. But collectively as a team, it wasn't enough. It just seems like his talents have gone to waste in Washington as they're still waiting to hear back from John Wall who has been hurt the past season and a half with injuries and we don't know when he's going to come back anytime soon and we know that Beal and Wall one of the most exciting duos in the Eastern Conference if not the NBA when they are both healthy and Washington for sure looks like a playoff team when they are healthy but this year it's been Bradley Beal kind of having the shoulder of the load and carry this team on his back he's averaging over 29 points a game, around 29 points a game, I should say. And still didn't make the All-Star game this year, so I'm sure he has a gripe with the NBA regarding that. But this team just doesn't have much around him as far as helping him out at the moment. And it's just something I think that it's going to be annoying, I feel like, for Beal as far as if this team doesn't make the playoffs and he's having to kind of shoulder this load and do all everything he can while John Wall is hurt because there's no guarantee that John Wall is going to return and look the same as he did pre-injury, because we all know John Maul is one of the fastest players in the NBA, was able to get in transition pretty fast, and was developing a pretty decent jump shot as well. So I don't know if John Wall is going to be able to replicate that speed that he had at one time, so he might become more of a traditional guard as far as having to dribble the ball up, probably at a slower pace, and then dishing out assists, which wasn't a problem for him, but also he's going to have to improve his shooting continually, and he had made strides, but I don't know if it's going to be enough. And Bradley Beale's going to shift back to the two guard spot, which I think he's more comfortable at, as he's a guy who could knock down the three pointer, slash, and drive, as well as play at times decent defense. So I think that for Bradley Beale, he's sorely awaiting John Wall to come back and perform at a relatively decent level because the, the performances like this that happen all the time and it doesn't result in wins and we're witnessing that right now with Bradley Beal scoring 50 points in back-to-back games over 50 points in back-to-back games but it isn't really resulting in anything like that and some more information about the Bradley Beal kind of stats it says that he joined Wilt Chamberlain, James Harden, and Devin Booker as the only players in NBA history to score 50 points in consecutive games and lose twice. But Beal is the first to do so on back-to-back nights. So he's exerting a lot of energy right now, getting his, doing his thing as far as buckets. But it is not equaling wins at all. And the Wizards still look like a lottery team at the moment. And it's not looking that great for the team. But the, they were close. I mean, at least it was a close game against the Milwaukee Bucks. It was a three-point loss to them. So it wasn't a blowout. But still, you've got to feel for Bradley Beal because you know he's stuck in a tough situation. He did sign a max extension with the Wizards last year, but he's still stuck in the contract unless they trade him. I don't know if the Wizards are going to trade him to another another team, perhaps a contender, in order to get back some valuable assets. I know earlier in the season they talked about the Lakers as far as a possible contender that might use Bradley Beal's services, but the Lakers don't have many assets to give away at the moment so i don't think that's going to be a great fit for the wizards perspective so we'll see as far as what happens there but on a um sad note last yesterday was the kobe bryant funeral him and his daughter gianna they held the um, memorial i should say yesterday 224 of course gianna was number two kobe wore number 24 in the latter half of his career it was held at staples center Sold-out crowd. It looked like there were many players from the NBA that showed up to support and to remember the greatness and legacy of Kobe Bryant. You saw Steph Curry there. You saw some of the Boston Celtics players there who played last or played Sunday afternoon against the Lakers. You saw some Spurs players there. You saw some legends there, like a Magic Johnson, and Michael Jordan. There was a bunch of celebrities there as well. It was a sad moment, but also one of the moments where you've got to give I'd say props to Vanessa Bryant Kobe's widow um as far as being strong and continuing to honor his legacy and being able to speak in front of a crowd of probably about 20,000 people so that's something you really got to commend her for because she didn't have to do this she probably put everybody would have been okay with her just standing kind of silent and just mourning Kobe but she wanted to Make sure that his legacy was well represented, and she wants to carry on his legacy as well in terms of being a great parent to the other three children they have, the, all the rest of the girls. So I think that she's going to do a great job. She's going to have plenty of support from the Lakers organization and from countless family and friends, and just fans from around the world who adored Kobe because they know that his daughter was going to be a WNBA player was probably going to be a WNBA star. If that she would have a name brand immediately attached to her. And as Gino Oriama said that she was bound for UConn and that would have been a great fit because we all know UConn is a storied women's basketball franchise or program in the past 20 years or so. So that would have been a great fit for her to get exposure, live on with her father's legacy. But unfortunately she was taken from us way too soon as, as was Kobe So we never really got to saw what he did as far as his second career after basketball. And it was really touching that they showed the little short movie that Kobe made about basketball that he won the Oscar for two years ago. That was really touching by them to show that at the end of the memorial. And it just shows that he really did have a love for basketball. He was committed to becoming the best player that he could be lived up to the expectations that everybody bestowed upon him. And there's no doubt a top five player. And for sure, you could even argue a top three to four player of all time. So you could really commend him for putting on a great show for fans every single night. And Memorial really reflected how much everybody loved Kobe. And uh, this is something that I think everybody's going to remember for the rest of their lives. And it was just well put together as far as Memorial. There were some chuckles every once in a while. So it wasn't too solemn. And also some great performances by artists such as Beyonce who sang and then Alicia Keys played um, Beethoven on the piano, which was what Kobe also did as far as how to um, woo Vanessa. He played Beethoven on the piano as well. So it was just a touching ceremony and memorial. And for sure, Kobe Bryant will never be forgotten by not only NBA fans, but people from around the world. But with that being said, this has been the end of the second quarter here on The End Zone.
0: Don't touch that dial. End your day with the end zone. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the end zone with Cutler and Cruz.
1: And welcome back to the end zone here on WeGo 91.1 FM. You've reached the third quarter. The third quarter for today is going to feature some NFL talk. Not much still going on. And the NFL. Been a pretty quiet offseason thus far. The Super Bowl happened a few weeks ago, but we are approaching that draft time, and the scouting combine is actually this week, this coming week, as far as the college players who are coming into the NFL going to get scouted as far as their speed, agility, bench press 40 times, if they have great hands, if they can throw the ball accurately, all that type of stuff so that will be taking place this weekend auburn has some representatives from that as well so we'll look forward to see what they're able to do as far as impress scouts and further improve their draft position some notable players are not participating in this year's combine most notably joe burrow has declined to participate in this combine he'll instead work out at the lsu pro day which is april which is in april so he'll be able to showcase his talents to the scouts in that arena. But bro did make some noise earlier this week as he has reportedly had nine inch hands. That's what those, that's what his hands were measured at the NFL combine. And that's a bit of a red flag. Traditionally for some scouts, because they are used to players having bigger size hands as far as quarterbacks and, they say that bigger hands result in you being able to grip the ball much more carefully and you're able to work on throwing the ball better but i don't think that's really much of a kind of i'd say problem for joe burrow as we saw last year he was able to still put up great numbers in an offense and put up i'd say a one of the best years of all time as far as a college quarterback. You could argue the best of all time if you want to go there. I mean, he had 60 touchdown passes, 76% completion percentage, over 5,000 yards. So he put up video game numbers for an LSU team that had never had a quarterback traditionally ever do that. I mean, LSU is more of a running back type of school. The quarterback just did enough to win the games. But Burrow and Joe Brady, also the passing game coordinator who's now with the Panthers, flipped it upside down and turned... LSU into a really strong offensive team and led them to a national championship. So I don't think hand size really matters as far as the NFL is concerned. There's been plenty of small hand quarterbacks that have made it to the league. I mean, Jared Goff had small hands a few years ago in the combine, but hey, he was a first round pick with the Rams. He's done pretty decent for himself, led the Rams to a Super Bowl the previous year. So he's had a decent enough career for himself. And I don't think that matters much either. And even a better example than Jared Goff is Patrick Mahomes who had nine and one fourth inch as far as hands. So 9.25 inch hands. And we all saw what he's been doing since the NFL, which is light it up on fire, make a couple of pole bowls, win a super bowl, win MVP. So he's done a lot for himself as well. So I think the hand talk is blown up proportion a lot of times in the NFL. And it's just something that they judge and, that these scouts really want to kind of hamper on, but it's not a big deal because as long as you can throw the ball accurately and you can throw it on time and you could lead your team to win games, that should matter the most I'd figure in the NFL. But I guess some scouts are really fixated on hands and sometimes it bothers some scouts and other scouts are able to bypass the glaring, I guess, deficiency if you want to call it. But I think Burrow won't have anything to worry about. He'll be a top pick in the draft for sure. Number one consensus is what people are saying. It just all depends if he wants to go because there's been talk that he might not want to go to the Bengals who are in a dumpster fire situation right now. But I don't know what other situation will be better for him as far as a team. I think the Bengals would be probably the best scenario for him. They still have a a wide receiver in A.J. Green who. Albeit had a lot of injuries last year in the pre- in the previous year, but he's still one of the best receivers in the league when healthy. He's able to give you a vertical threat down the field. Got a solid running back in Joe Mixon who had some, of course, past transgressions at Oklahoma that were viewed as really negative, and they were. But he's able to turn his life around and become a solid running back in the league. So I think those are two kind of foundational pieces on offense that could really stand out in look for himself and also you've got Tyler Boyd who put up a thousand yard season last year so it's not like he has nothing to work with and it's like a bare cupboard as far as what will be coming to in Cincinnati you've got a young coach and Zach Taylor who's looking for anything right now just to be optimistic at the moment so I think that for the Bengals Burrow will be a perfect fit for them Burrow I don't think he'll have as much pressure as he would performing in a bigger market and Cincinnati, they're not going to make the playoffs anytime soon, so Burrow still has a chance to develop for another year or two and then take that ascension into becoming a star-caliber quarterback if he doesn't do it already in his first year. But you never know with some of these quarterbacks. Sometimes they hit off and take off immediately, and sometimes they take a little bit more time to develop, and they then they finally take off and become the players you thought they would be when you first drafted them. So you never know what the case is going to be with Joe Burrow, but I think that he will be a solid NFL quarterback in He'll be somebody that teams will be happy they have, or one lucky team will be happy they get in the draft. But on to more NFL news, it says the Vikings that the Vikings are not trying to move on from Stephon Diggs, says GM general manager Rick Spielman. There's been some talk that Stephon Diggs was not happy in Minnesota. He's been the tandem, in a tandem with Adam Thielen, arguably the best tandem in the NFL as far as wide receivers go. But he's in the plans for the 2020 season, according to Spielman. And Spielman also said he's not only a major part of our offense and a major part of our organization winning games, but he also does a lot of things for his organization off the field. There's no reason, the rumors or whatever you're talking about, to anticipate that Stephon Diggs is not going to be a Minnesota Viking. When you have some of the offensive talent that we have with him and Thielen together and with Rudy, a.k.a. Kyle Rudolph, and Irv Smith, with Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison We have a pretty good support cast around our quarterback, who is Kirk Cousins. And the rumors were kind of dating back to last year as far as Diggs because he was fined $200,000 for unexcused absences from practices and team meetings in wake of a week five loss at Chicago. So that kind of stirred the pot as far as is he going to get traded? Does he want to be released from his contract or anything like that? But Sometimes you just get frustrated in the middle of the season when you're not getting the ball, and that was the case for Stefan Diggs at one point in the season. He wasn't really getting the ball as much as he wanted to. Kirk Cousins is no more of a quarterback who spreads the ball around. He won't really target one specific receiver, and he was targeting Thielen a bunch of times, as well as Kyle Rudolph, and Diggs was getting not as many touches, and that bothered Diggs. Hence the trade requests, rumors, and kind of cryptic tweets he was sending out on social media. But I think Diggs does really want to stay. You know, it's been a tough year as far as what he did. But he still had a pretty good year. He was 63 receptions. He went for over 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. He also was under contract through the 2023 season. So he still has enough time to kind of work out his frustrations with this team. And I think that he would love to still be with this organization because they have a great cast as I mentioned as far as the weapons they have and they made it to the NFC Divisional Playoff last year. They upset the Saints so you could see some bright spots with this Vikings team. The defense still should be really good. Offense should be still solid. They're getting a new offensive coordinator Gary Kubiak who is regarded as one of the best offensive minds of this generation so I think that for the Vikings they're in great shape as far as their offense is concerned and it wouldn't be surprising if they were able to get back into the playoffs in go deep into the playoffs once again some other news in the nfl going off of quarterback or going off of offensive players is the panthers coach matt rule on quarterback cam newton rule said i want to coach him and he said he expects cam newton to be on this roster in september but he didn't want to guarantee guarantee any player a spot in his first season as a head coach but i would pretty much guarantee that cam should be getting his job back i mean i wouldn't see any quarterback controversies spewing out of Carolina because we all saw what Kyle Allen did and what Will Greer did. They weren't that impressive in the season and the Panthers absolutely looked lost on offense. Minus Christian McCaffrey who proved that he is one of the best running backs in the league last season. But I think the Panthers are making the right decision as far as keeping Cam. He still has something left in the tank, I believe. And this is going to be kind of a it year for Cam as well because he is on his last leg as far as his contract is concerned he's reaching an age where you're still in your prime but you might not be in like your athletic prime anymore and i think cam's gonna have to kind of rework some of his intangibles as far as his quarterbacking style where he's not gonna be able to run over a bunch of people and just hop back up and act like everything's okay we all know that sometimes he gets bad calls going against him as far as helmet to helmet hits and targeting and all those type of egregious calls that referees miss but i think cam will learn to kind of rework on his mechanics as far as throwing the ball i think he'll be much more mentally prepared heading into this season because he knows this might not this might be his last season he's already 30 years old so like i said his prime athletically might be slowing down a tad as far as his as his dual threatness but i think that he is still the quarterback the Panthers should roll with because he still gives you the threat despite being a little older of his dual threat ability. And when he is on passing the ball, he is really on. That is the fun thing to watch about Cam Newton is that he can throw the fastball as far as throwing it right into the pocket of the receiver. Sometimes they catch it. Sometimes they don't. And sometimes Cam is wildly inaccurate. So you kind of got to live with the both kind of case scenario in that regard. But I think that rule has to, the right decision to roll with Cam Newton here because who else are you going to draft that could be better than Cam Newton? And you figure a good amount of the quarterbacks might be gone by the time you draft, and you don't really want to start with a new quarterback in a division where they've got plenty of established quarterbacks, such as Drew Brees and a Matt Ryan. Jameis Winston, we don't know what's going to happen with him, but I'm going to assume that the Panth- or the Buccaneers would pick up his option as well. But I think the Panthers are making the right decision with Cam Newton Staying and Cam Newton in return is going to have, I believe, one of the best seasons he has ever had because he's going to be determined and focused to prove to everybody that hey, I'm still one of the best quarterbacks in the league and I can still bring it and I can still be everything that you guys thought I can be. But well, with that being said, this has been the, end of the third quarter here on the end zone.
0: Don't touch that dial. End your day with the end zone. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the end zone with Cutler and Cruz.
1: And welcome back. You've reached the fourth quarter here on the end zone. And the fourth quarter for today is featuring MLB baseball. Spring training has finally kicked off for all 30 major league teams in Arizona and Florida. And not much going on this far, it's only been about a few games played. For each team, but of course the big news is the Houston Astros, their scandal as far as the cheating and the pitches and all the stuff coming out as far as their cheating has been concerned. And they've already taken a a bit of a kind of struggle as far as their road games have been concerned. They've been booed a lot in their away games. And Jose Altuve, who was one of the culprits of the scandal, possibly had a buzzer. He was possibly wearing a buzzer, I should say, under his jersey during the ALCS last year. He was grazed by a pitch. So it has not looked that great for the Astros so far. And it was something that I think was a mistake as far as Altuve being hit by the pitch. I don't think it was really something as... That was a big deal in spring training because you could easily miss somebody and hit them. And it was in the foot. It wasn't like in the back because usually if you're trying to intentionally hit somebody, you wouldn't aim that low. You would aim more kind of square in the back or in like the arm or something like that. The foot, it's easy to miss your location down low and then it just kind of clips the toe of somebody and they just go to base. But I think for... This scenario it wasn't really nothing, and even Dusty Baker, who's the Astros' manager now, said he was hitting the foot, that ain't nothing, you know what I mean. It wasn't intentional. And I truly believe that it was not intentional as far as what happened to him against the Detroit Tigers. And I think the real punishment for the Astros is going to come in the regular season where I do expect players to have a vendetta against them, and there's going to be some serious repercussions being taken against the Astros and MLB for how they handled it. I think players are going to get hit pretty hard by opposing pitchers. I don't know if it's going to happen in this first series against the athletics when they do play in the regular season, but you could for sure expect on the road that the Astros are going to be facing a lot of scrutiny, a lot of booing. It's not going to be a pretty scene at all. The Astros are going to have to deal with a lot of negative attention from their players and the coaches as well even though Dusty Baker just got there and he has absolutely nothing to do with the scandal you could still expect some type of retaliation from Dusty I mean from the other teams and it's just going to not be a pretty sight for the Astros I feel really sorry for Dusty Baker who's been being kind of dropped in the middle of a situation like this because he had nothing to do with this so it's going to be a rough season for the Astros and I've noticed A lot of their players who are involved in this scandal haven't played yet, and that's kind of standard as far as a spring training. The players don't play all nine innings; they usually play about two to three innings, four if most. Then they kind of give way to the prospects who are trying to, or the, or yeah, prospects or the other guys who are trying to make the team off of minor league deals. So it's not a big deal that these players aren't playing in spring training right now. I don't think they're being precautionary at all as far as seeing them as long as they are. And the Astros even said themselves, we're focused on playing baseball. We know what we need to do on the field and get ready, prepared for the upcoming season. And it was even in the CSPN article, it says the reception during the visit to Tigertown USA was fairly tame compared to what it figures to be during the regular season. There's only about half attendance as far as this game, about 48,000 or 4,800 in this Spring training game, so nothing much really to scoff at. But it's still going to be something the Astros are going to have to deal with throughout the season as far as the booing and the heckling from fans and retaliation from players, opposing players. So it's going to be an interesting season for the Astros. But speaking of the team that lost to the Astros, the Yankees have a few news headlines of their own. Their starting pitcher, Luis Severino, is going to be out for the rest of this season as he is undergoing Tommy John surgery, a surgery that usually knocks players out for the rest of the season and as well as the next season, parts of next season as well. So he's going to have to recover from that. But we wish Severino all the best in his recovery. But the more positive news for the Yankees, Garrett Cole struck out two people and had a hitless inning of spring debut baseball. So great pitching from Garrett Cole, who's their prized pitching acquisition coming over from the Astros. Yankees paid a lot of money for him. They expect him to deliver, and I hope he delivers. I mean, if you get a nine-year contract that's worth $324 million, you better deliver, and the Yankees have high expectations this year to make the World Series and possibly win the World Series. So I think that Garrett Cole is going to have pressure on him to do that, and I don't think he's going to waver from the pressure at all. I think he's going to perform really well, and everything's going to work out great for Garrett Cole. But with that being said, this has been the end of the end zone here on WeGo91.1FM. Thank you for listening to once again another episode. If you want to follow us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter at EndZoneWeagle at EndZoneWEGL. I'm Javon Cutler. Thank you so much for listening to the EndZone. Have a great rest of your week.
0: Congrats, you've reached the EndZone with Cutler and Cruz on Weagle 91.1. Make sure to tune in next Tuesday at 4 for all the trending sports news that you need.
1: Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at EndZoneWEGL.
0: Until next time.